Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Put my preaching mic pack on the opposite side today. I don't know what that's going to mean, everybody. Just buckle up. What am I doing this to myself for? Good morning, church. So thankful for you. So happy you're here. Happy, I can truly say a happy new year now. We had a good service last week, and uh, we're going to kind of continue sort of the theme that we began together last week with this idea, this resolution, if you will, to really focus our hearts and our minds on one big thing. And we're going to do a series together over the next few weeks, kind of a sort of a thing we do a lot of times this time of year, because it's good to just remember what's really important, that we should start our year really thinking about what's most important. So this series is called Simple Life, How to Make Simple Commitments to Create Great Life Change. I hope that sounds attractive to you, no matter where you are in your journey, in your life's journey, that you kind of have a sense of the busyness. You have a sense of uh, an inability to focus on one thing at a time, that most of us have this sort of multiplicity of different avenues we're going, things we're doing, different focuses. It's kids, it's spouse, it's, yes, it's God, but it's also all of this. And it's hard to figure out how to box it all in in a way that's simple, effective, and most importantly, God-glorifying. That can be really challenging. Everything in our lives just seems to take up space, and it's hard to know. It's hard to know which of those things are really important, should be prioritized, and which things maybe are, as we used to say, trim, need to be trimmed, like trimming the fat. Some things need to be trimmed. Everything you own, everything you do, everything you spend, everything costs you something. And simplifying your life will give you not just more time, but also, I believe, truly more joy and more peace. So how do we do this? How do we make more space? If you're not convinced yet, Lord, there's blog after blog. I I read all kinds of stuff this week trying to figure out why everybody feels so busy. Especially, I think this is, if, if anything is truly American, this is truly American to just be ridiculously busy. If you've ever been to like New York City, you know this so well. Those people are just constantly, it seems like they're running everywhere they're going. At least we're a little more chill in the South, but it's getting pretty busy down here too. People are just constantly on the go. Here's one list I found. This was a a list of ways to simplify your life. These aren't biblical. These aren't spiritual in any way. Just simple things. I don't know. Some of these might be, I would imagine these would be helpful just in and of themselves. This is from a, a website called Be More With Less. That's the website. Be More With Less. And here's the ways to simplify your life. It says reduce, number one, reduce your screen time. Some of you are like, already I'm in trouble. Reduce your screen time. Number two, declutter your closet. Number three, reduce your wardrobe. If you're anything like me, there's more than half of that stuff you haven't wore since you were in high school. Like, it can go now. It really can. Number four, create a morning routine of meditation, reading, journaling, Number five, process your emails only twice a day. I'm not even doing that, I'm going to be honest. I get like one a day, I'm like, oh, those emails are ridiculous. All right, number six, go to bed early. <sighs> Big challenge for me, go to bed early. Number seven, make room in your calendar for rest. You actually have to schedule rest, isn't that wild? Number eight, create a weekly meal plan. 
That would be super helpful. Number nine, automate more of your finances if you can. Number 10, set your clothes out the night before. That one's funny to me. I feel like that's something my mom did for me growing up. Like, and she would pick out the worst stuff, y'all. Like, she'd have me going to school in sweatpants. I'm like, Mom, you do not love me. Like, set your clothes out the night before. Number 11, make your lunch the night before. Okay, cool. Number 12, make time to catch up with an old friend. Number 13, just say no. Who are my yes men in the room? Got any yes men up in here? I say yes to, I have a hard time saying no. Just say no. Number 14, consolidate, pay off some debts. Number 15, go for a walk outside. I heard, I listened to this one guy on a podcast. That is his thing. He says, the first thing I do when I start my day is I get outside and I take a walk. I think there's something to be said for that. Get outside, see the world, get some fresh air. Number 16, do things at home as much as possible. Maybe we've gotten too good at that. I don't know. Number 17, don't get caught up in other people's drama. Wow, that's an undertaking. Wow, don't get caught up in other people's drama. Some of you are like, well, that's easier said than done. Number 18, focus on a simple, healthy eating plan. That's sort of sounding repetitive. For every item that you buy, number 19, set two free. Okay. I need to do that with my children, y'all. Number 20, not them, their stuff. Their stuff. Y'all don't want those, I'm telling you. I love them, but woo. Number 20, focus on one thing at a time. Number 21, want what you have, not what you don't. Number 22, last but not least, take a breath and slow down. Now, you're probably thinking those are some pretty good ideas. There's some really great ideas in there. But even that, that's 22 items. That feels like a list already. I'm like, and I can't even get past number one, which is reduce my screen time. These are great things to apply, but what if, what if there's something way more simple, way more practical that would begin to unpack into all of those areas, something, some secret, if you will. Here's, here's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, a very famous story, good way to start our year off together, Matthew chapter 4, and here's what we see. We see Jesus here speaking, calling his first disciples, and his calling was very simple, very simple. Follow me. Follow me. Now that's a strange calling to a lot of us. It's simply get behind me, get in step with Jesus. But that's what he said to these fishermen. That's where we're going to be today with hanging out with these young fishermen. And Jesus called his disciples and said, follow me. And Jesus called them to a relationship that would then lead them to abundant life. So the simple step is relationship with him. And of course, this is meant certainly to mean to, to leave some things behind. Jesus is certainly calling him to that. But his positive calling is simply this, follow me. How do we answer that call? That's where I want to spend time today is thinking about how the text has given us really three very simple commitments that lead to following Jesus. All right? So let's read the, the passage together today, Matthew chapter 4, just a few verses. Verse 18, it says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, who was later called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. <laughs> and he said, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. 
And he called them, verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. This is a passage you might be familiar with if you've been around church at all. This one's kind of a, there, there's more story. Just to give you a, a, a snippet of the backstory, what has happened just before this is, is Jesus has shown him this wonderful miracle. It's not here in this section of Matthew, but he takes them out fishing and catches this massive load and, and has surprised them to death. But anyway, now he's calling them and it says both, in both cases, Simon, Andrew, and James and John, they immediately left and followed him. Now, this leads us to our first, it's simple in, in a sense, but not simple in its application. The first is this, reorder your life around being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And you can tell just by the point that there's some nuance to that. A fully devoted follower of Jesus, if you're if you're aware of, of anybody in this world at all that's, that claims to be a Christian, um, a lot of them are not what you would call fully devoted followers. In fact, a lot of people around here will tell you that they're Christian, but they don't truly know what that even means. They, that means something in their head of like, okay, I, I go to church with my parents on these particular holidays. or like That means like I, I fall under the umbrella of like church people. But... What does that really mean? No, a fully, a fully devoted follower of Jesus is not particularly just a churchgoer. Someone who follows Christ in devotion will go to church. But that is merely a, a part of who they are. What, what they really are is someone who gets in step, gets in line with what Jesus is both teaching in his word, is, is devoted in prayer to him. And so this is what Jesus, again, this is what I think is very unique about our faith, the Christian faith, is this. We have been called to a person, not to a place. That's always been true. It's never go not going to be true. That's why you can worship in your pajamas tomorrow morning. Now, that might sound sacrilegious, but that's one of the greatest parts about what it means to be a Christ follower. Is he wants to be with you where you are all the time. He's, he's more than pleased that you would spend time to him when you're at your best and when you're at your worst. When you look your best and when you've just rolled out of bed. And if you're anything like me, I don't roll out of bed looking well. This hair does not look this good normally. It takes work. The breath could be a little funky. Jesus says, come on. I, in fact, he wants the first piece. I'm more than happy. Approach the throne of God with your crazy hair and your terrible breath. Come on. That's the God we serve. And that's a unique thing about this, this devotion. He says, no, simply, I'm, I'm not calling you to go get well. I love that Jesus says this. That he doesn't tell Peter and James and John and Andrew, hey, you guys go get straight and then come to me. No, he says, simply follow me and I will make. I will make. I'm so thankful for this, Jesus, aren't you? Because I can't approach the throne of God well. I need him to make. He's simply asking, will you say yes? Will you come follow me? Will you make a decision that you're going to spend time with, with the Lord Jesus often, early and often, and in the evenings, and when you're at your worst, and when you're at your best, you come and you follow the Lord of Lords, the Son of God. I love what Dallas Willard wrote on this. He's recently passed away, a very influential uh, thinker and, and believer. He says this, The disciple is one who... Intent on becoming Christ-like and so dwelling in his faith and practice 
has systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. That means the one who's really trying intent on becoming like Christ and following him begins to look at everything, first things first, the calendar and, and the checkbook, the budget, is looking at the way he runs his family, systematically rearranging all those things to say, okay, what is it going to look like for me to be a true follower of Christ Jesus? If, I, if again and again I make God second in my list of priorities, there's something off with my systems. If I've made the decision, and this sounds, this sounds really wholesome and it sounds really good, you know, I want the very best for my kids. I put them at the top. Wrong. Because God has designed you to shepherd your kids in, in the love of the Savior in, in, by His standard. And you can't do that when you put them first. And they're very, very smart. They're going to begin to go, I'm the most important thing in the world. And they'll be real confused one day when they find out that no one else thinks so. Only mom and dad think that. That's why these poor people get on American Idol and can't sing a lick. It's because mom and dad were lying to them. <laughs> At some point, you got to say, no, God is first. And it's the very best thing I can do for my kids. There's nothing I can do better. That's the best thing I can do for my spouse is to let her or him know that first and foremost, I serve the Lord. And because of that, I can love you like I should. Because otherwise, I have no strength to love you like you deserve. Because I'm purely selfish apart from Him. Oh, no. Get these things in order, systematically rearranging my affairs. Start looking at my calendar and going, Do I, Have I made room to follow Jesus in this life of mine? Boy, it would be really sad if I've spent my whole life and never made room to spend time with my Savior. How did the Apostle Paul describe himself in his letters? This is, this is the way the apostles viewed themselves. They changed their identity, and that's what this step is about. That I have, I'm no longer just Jonathan, the guy who did this, this, and that, that likes athletics or that has a family. No, the most important characteristic of who Jonathan is, is a servant of Jesus. And that's the way all the apostles address their letters. Look at Paul. Romans 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. To the Galatians, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That means my devotion my desire to follow him has, re, has given me a new identity. That's, that's really what the Bible's been teaching all along. Is that behold, there's a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. So now I'm Jonathan, the servant of Christ. Yeah, I'm a pastor, but more than that. Way more than that. I'm his kid. I just seek to follow him. I want that more than anything. I want to rearrange my life. I'm disappointed. Just to be completely honest, I'm disappointed in the areas of my life where I've not given him my best. That's where I'm, and honestly, those are the areas where I suffer the most fatigue, where I have so little peace, where the joy is really gone. It's in those areas where I have tried to do it myself. It's really scary when I try to do pastoring that way. But to be honest, at times, I'm, I'm doing it because I can do it, not because he's doing it through me. That's a dangerous place to find yourself. 
No, he says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me and I will provide. I will make. I hope you're encouraged by that today. That this isn't a God who says, hey, come to me and start working really hard and, and maybe you'll be worthy of me. No, in fact, it says the opposite. It says you're absolutely not worthy, but I love you in spite of that. And when you come before me, if you would just take the step and say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I'm a mess, but I am yours. And I want to be more yours every day. I want to be all in for you. He says, I will make. I'll prepare. I'll prepare, I'll prepare you to do the things I've called you to do. Where do you find your true identity? That's like a hot button issue now, isn't it? Like that is such a hot button word now in our culture is this word identity. Maybe one of the biggest issues facing our society is like who am I? Especially among young people. And they're constantly looking all over the place to figure out where in the world uh, or, or what in the world I, to identify with. And I just want to build on a little bit of something I read not long ago from Tim Keller. He's going on to be with the Lord, but he talks a lot about this identity stuff, especially in his re recent years. And he describes three different types of people, and I think he gets this right, that there's three different types of people that, that find their identity. And a lot of you are, are well beyond this. You know, you've you decided who you were probably 50 years ago. That's some of you. But there's, there's this idea of three different types of views in order to find who you are. The traditional view has been this. Really, the, the view throughout history, if you will, the traditional view is this. That your family, your, your village, your community, those around you tell you who you are. That you, you come to an awareness of who you are based on what outside is telling you. Your family says, you're a son your family says, oh, we're believers. We go to church. Your family says, oh, you know, we come from a long line of drunks. That's not a good thing, but that's what perhaps some of you came up with. And You get this and you begin to believe, okay, well, I don't know if I can come outside of that box. Hear me when I say this. That traditional view is not perfect, obviously. Now there's what you might call what he calls the modern view which is a, a more recent way of thinking, and that is that you tell you who you are. That I, I am whatever I say I am. And, and it doesn't matter what everyone else has told me all of my life. It doesn't matter what my birth certificate says. It doesn't matter any of that. I say who I am. And that, might, that is clearly a reaction to the traditional view of identity, and it has some scary factors as well. Either one of these is not perfect. Believers in the room... I want you to understand something. That's never how God intended it. Either one of those views. My parents named me Jonathan, but they couldn't make me a son of God. My, my parents, I'm, I'm a son of theirs, but they couldn't make me a son of God. No, the third view and the most important view is, who does God say that I am? Who does he say that I am? You start getting behind that, you start understanding that and you go, okay, of course I want to follow you because you have uniquely created me not only for yourself but for a specific purpose that maybe I'm not following right now and I can't even see it but I'm just going to walk with you and you're going to begin to unfold some things I could have never seen on my own. And not only that, I don't have to worry anymore about these things that all of these, there's such a variety of programs out there about self-love and self-esteem and figuring this out. And it's because most of us have bought into one of those two first views. And both of them can be damaging in so many ways. Some of you grew up with parents who said you were the worst. 
said, you're not going to amount to anything. It's baffling to me that parents would do this, but some of you grew up this way. With a dad or a mom or maybe, maybe you had an absent parent and, and your identity has been, I feel left out. I feel lonely. Or, or my dad said I wasn't very smart when I was young. These have been things you've identified with. And God says, you're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the high king of the universe. God says, I love you so much that I died for you. That's your identity. Your identity is that the God of the universe died for you. I can't think of a better identity than this. So that changes everything. Okay, of course I want to walk with you. Some of you have been hungry for a relationship for so long. You've been hungry for a father or a mother. You've been so hungry for someone to tell you the truth. Here it is. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Follow him. Follow him in prayer. Follow him in his word. What does it look like to begin to reorder? It starts with confession. If you've not yet said, yes, Jesus, I am yours. That's where you start. And then you begin to reorder your days and your upcoming weeks and say, okay, I'm going to live different tomorrow. Here's, and I'm going to start with a simple step. Tomorrow, I start in prayer. Tomorrow, when my alarm goes off, I'm going to give him at least five minutes. I can find five minutes, Lord. You're deserving of so much more. I'm going to start tomorrow with, I've never had a habit in this way. I'm going to begin to rearrange my life. That, that moment where I'm in the shower singing, which I've been doing my whole life, singing to whatever I've got on the radio, I'm going to change that up tomorrow. I'm going to sing some stuff to you. I'm going to pick my favorite mix of, of worship stuff. Hopefully there's something in there. Man, I, maybe discover something new. Maybe there's some worship stuff you've never even thought. Just, hey, Alexa, tell me about, uh, give me some new worship music. Whatever you got going on in there. I'm going to start my day different tomorrow. Simple steps. Here's the second this one's such a challenge for me. The first step is fully devoted follower of Jesus. I'm getting all in on that. Number two is this. Make room for healthy relationships with followers, other followers of Jesus. Here's, here's what's great about this call. Well, I think it's great. It's super challenging, but it is great. Who's he talking to when he says, follow me? Is he just talking to Matt or just talking to, to Peter, just to Andrew? No, he's talking to groups of people when he says this. In fact, the word there he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The word there, you in the Greek, is a plural word. <laughs> in Southern, if Jesus was a Southern man, he'd have said, I'm gonna make y'all fishers of men. I'm gonna make you guys. Uses. I, I, I look, this is strange. I don't know why I got in on this this week. Did you know there's a place in the world where they say yens? And some of you know about it because it's like apparently like a Pittsburgh thing. I'm going to make yens. Yens? I, let's just be honest. I know I'm in the South, but y'all's the best. It just is. That yens? What is happening? Use alls, use guys. There's some crazy stuff going on up north, y'all. Jesus, though, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you all, I'm going to make you, this group, church, church, you all, I will make you fishers of men. Which means the call of Christ again and again, and if you can, you can look through all of these various calls of Christ, you're going to find out they keep being corporate calls. He keeps calling groups of people. This is a challenge I know. I understand this is a challenge that Jesus has not simply called you personally. He called those people around you. And I know they're annoying. I know they can be difficult. 
You know, pastoring a church would be super easy if it weren't for the people. I don't know if y'all are aware of that. If I could just get up here and preach and you guys just behave, and if I could just say, hey, stop sinning, and you did it, it'd be amazing. But then I have to look in the mirror and go, dude, would you stop thinking crazy stuff? Because the problem starts right in here with me. But God has called the church. He has called us as a body of Christ. So he says, follow me and I will make y'all fishers of men. So he's called us to healthy relationships. Following Jesus has always been about following him as a body of believers. This was super challenging even for the first 12, even for the first disciples. You're dealing with guys that are trying to figure this thing out. They have no idea what Jesus is saying half the time. They don't understand his purpose. They'll say the right things every once in a while. You know, Peter has this wonderful confession of, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then if you read that passage of scripture, it's almost the next paragraph that he, didn't, that he says, no, Jesus, you're not going to go be crucified. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So almost within the same paragraph, Peter gets it right and gets it terribly wrong. And I got a feeling if you were the kind of disciple just trying to hang out with Jesus, keep a low profile, Peter's not the guy you want to hang out with. He is con- he's cutting off people's ears. The dude's going nuts. Judas is out here stealing money. You know he's up to no good. There's <laughs> From day one, church, from day one, People have been a mess. <laughs> when it comes to, at least when it comes to the calling of his church and the believers coming to faith, people have brought their baggage into the midst. So when you hear your friends and your family saying, I'm not going to church, it's full of hypocrites. Duh. Where are their people? Where, where do you find the non-hypocrites? Where are they? They don't exist. Their name was Jesus. He's it. He's the only one. The rest of us Make mistakes and try to cover them up a lot. That's every business I've ever worked in. That's every place I've ever found myself. Yes, the church is full of hypocrites. So is the hospital, and that's what we're doing. We're trying to mend broken lives by the power of Christ. Which means, church, which means, if you're kind of new around here, or you've been around here for a while, (laughs) the prickly people aren't going anywhere. They're here for a reason. I begin to really try to accept that fact (laughs) that the people who come to my church are hurting. I'm hurting. And it's okay that sometimes we kind of prick each other a little bit. But God has called us to grow in that, to work through that. Ephesians 4, in fact, says we are members one of another. It's very important that we make room for more people that are hurting and hungry for better For Jesus. Acts 2 says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. I can tell you one thing we're always going to have in common. And that's brokenness. We'll always have that in common. That there's stuff that we're working on that's not quite right. But we're trusting it to Jesus together. This is a really fascinating thought. Um, I didn't read all of this book yet. But Dan Buettner's book, it's called Blue Zones. All right, I'm giving you a bunch of like info stuff today. I hope it's sinking in. I don't know. But Blue Zones, and the subtitle was Secrets for Living Longer. Does anybody want to know those secrets for living longer? I kind of do. I'd, I'd like to kick it for a little while. 
He identified the blue zones. Blue zones, he says, these are areas in the world where people on average lived longer and better well into their 90s, even their 100s. He calls these blue zones. He and his team of researchers identified nine factors that these people who made it into their 90s and 100s, these people had in common. Here's a few that aren't so surprising. Physical exercise, healthy diet. Those were two of those factors. If you're eating trash all the time, sorry. It's just not good. If you don't like moving at all, not a good thing. So move and try to eat. <laughs> try to eat things that you can pronounce. That's probably a good idea. Those weren't so surprising. We've been hearing that kind of stuff. Do you know the, the most dominant factors for determining a longer and better life were actually not those two? Number one was a life purpose. Engagement in spirituality or faith. Engagement in family life. And an engagement in some type of healthy social life. So five of the nine factors had to do with how you have community. That's fascinating to me. I'm a very introverted person. I think I would live to 200 if I could be a full-on hermit. But I don't think that's true apparently. There's a part of me that thinks that might be true, but that's just the introversion coming out. No, the truth is, I have a wonderful network of people, and some of you do too. Uh, like a network of family is one of the most powerful things for your life. Having a healthy community of believers, that checks off two of the factors right there. That we have a community of faith, and we have a healthy relationship. We do this thing here at church called community groups, and a whole lot of you are in these. We're close to, we're in the 80 percentile of people who are in community groups at our church. And it's the way that the church becomes an actual relationship. We, th this kind of communication is great. I'm enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it. But we're not building family here. Family's happening what we're doing Monday through Saturday when we're hanging out together outside of these walls. We're just getting a little snippet of it here. We've got to do more. No, these blue zones, five of the factors have to do with how we engage in community. I'm, I'm wondering this, church, this year, would you make some room in your life for other believers? Make some room. Maybe you've not had a devotion to community groups. That's, that's an idea. I'm not saying you have to do that. Go where the Lord leads you. But build relationships with other believers. Maybe in service, that you begin to have passion together. I'm, I, I, I want to serve my community in this capacity with believers. I don't know. I'm going to get more involved in community groups this year. Some of you, like me, I've been doing community groups with our church for over a decade, for quite some time. And sometimes, I don't want to go. I'll be honest. There are weeks where I'm like, ah, I'd rather just sit here in my pajamas. It happens a lot. But what would it look like for me to say, all right, I'm going to come with intentionality. I want to build better relationships. I want to really get to know these people. That's supposed to be the purpose. It's not that just we get together and we answer some questions and we pray together, but we actually really get to know one another and see a heart. See the heart. That takes time. That takes work. Make room for healthy relationships. Here's the third commitment. This one's my favorite of the text, really, because Jesus says, follow me and I will make. I love that he says this because I know how big of a challenge this is going to be for me to find my purpose. He says, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the third commitment is simply this. Pursue the purpose that Christ has for your life. So the, what you're doing here is Jesus is doing the making, but you have to constantly be saying yes. There's, there's a constant life of, of saying yes to Christ again and again. It, We've made a terrible mistake as believers, as Christians, as the church, if we've told people all this time, hey, it just takes one yes. It just, all right, Jesus, I'm yours, you're my savior, we're done. It doesn't end there, at least that's not my, been my experience. I have to say yes every day. I think that's what Paul means. He says it in a strange way, but I think this is what he means when he says, I beat my body daily and make it my slave. That is, every morning I wake up, I wake up like the old Jonathan all over again. And I have to once again say, I am crucified in Christ. Jesus, I'm yours. You lead the way. I can't stop doing that. Because if I do, this goofball gets in the driver's seat again and starts running life. And then all the peace is gone, all the joy is gone. I start having chaos in my life. Jesus manages my chaos in a way that gives me peace. It makes no sense. And yet it's very true. So every day, there's a daily yes. And so Christ Jesus says, follow me. How often do I have to do this? Every day. Follow me and I will make. Well, then in order for me to pursue my purpose, it means a constant daily pursuit of Jesus. And I don't take vacations from that. And that's a challenge, church. You might think this is a crazy thing to say. But when I go on vacation from the church, there's a temptation in me. I'm going to take a vacation from this. I'm going to take a vacation from spiritual stuff. Because my life is all about spiritual stuff. You don't take vacations from, like, food. In fact, when I'm on vacation, I eat way more. I don't know about you, like that's an ideal vacation is there's lots of food. And I've got to view that this way too. I don't take vacations from this because this is nutrients. <laughs> this, is, this is what God's made me for. And I'm going to feel the most joy and the most peace when I'm following him the closest. Pursue the purpose that Christ has in your life. Now on the flip side of that, perhaps some of you in the room, and I don't know who you are, Perhaps God has given you some assignments in the past. and You've said no. And you're wondering why it doesn't seem like Christ is making me a fisher of men. It doesn't seem like God is moving in my life. He has a tendency, I believe, to give us, give us an opportunity for yes. And until we say yes, he kind of holds. He kind of goes in a holding pattern. So if that's you this morning, perhaps you're not seeing the move of God. You're not seeing him making you a fisher of men. You're not seeing God's purpose become reality in your life. It's because there's a no in your past that you need to undo. Say, God, I, okay, I know you called me to have that conversation with my kids. I know you called me to have that conversation with my mother, with my friend. And I just keep saying, oh, I, just don't, I don't want to bring that up. I don't want to. That's one scenario. Maybe God has called you to be the vessel to speak to someone. Maybe God has called you out of sin. Maybe there's something that you keep hearing. You keep getting the shoulder tab. And Jesus is like, I made you for more. Uh, this isn't my best for you. This is killing you. This is robbing you of your peace. You feel in that shoulder tap? And you just keep going, oh, not today, God. He's ready to make. <laughs> He's ready to help you pursue your purpose. 
But you've got to stop saying no. You've got to put the yes out on the table and say, all right, God, I'm yours. I will follow you. That's what it means to be a fully devoted disciple, a fully devoted follower is that, okay, my yes is yours, Jesus. Now you make, you work out in me. Our purpose is this, to constantly lift up Jesus and glorify him, and then he will draw people to himself. This is the wonder of the gospel. This is what I really love about being a believer when I get in right standing. Jesus says in John 12, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So this is super freeing that, okay, I don't, I don't have to worry, I don't have to stress about, you know, how, how God is going to make his purpose known in my life. I don't have to stress about whether my, my family is going to come to Christ. I don't have to stress because I'm not responsible for any of that. I can't make my children, my four kids, I cannot make them receive Jesus. It's terrifying, I know, parents. But Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw. So, okay, I'm going to devote my life to following Christ, to lifting him up, to glorifying his name, and he will Draw people to himself. As the body of Christ, we're, giving, we're given so many functions, different spiritual gifts, different functions of service in the body. I could go to a, a bunch of different places. In the book of Romans chapter 12, it says, As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're not all called to do the same types of stuff. So we, though many, are one body in Christ Jesus and individually members of one of another. And we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us then what? Use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in one serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God is calling each and every one of us to uniquely use the gifts in which he has already given and will make us fishers of men. I want to leave you with this thought that in order to pursue one's purpose, and this is a challenge for so many of us, it's a challenge. I've heard this most of my ministry, people telling me, I don't really know, I don't know what I'm gifted at. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what my ultimate purpose is. And I can't know that for you either. I can't tell you what that is. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know Jesus is saying both in this story and in other places. He's saying, follow me closely. Get in step with me. I will make. That means that Christ Jesus is the one who is the author behind your purpose. He's the one that will begin to direct your steps. There's another passage of scripture, a famous one in John chapter 15, where he talks about abiding in the vine. And that is a wonderful way of thinking of Jesus. And that what I really have to do is hang on tight to his word, following him, devotion and prayer to him, and he will begin to make me bear fruit in the way he's designed. Now, this is a very simple way of thinking, but here's, here's what I'm pretty sure is true, that an orange tree, that as the oranges begin to emerge, there's nothing in them that's sitting there going, I'm going to come out the color orange. I'm going to be sweet. I'm going to be tasty. Those humans are going to love me. There's nothing. That's not happening. No, the power is coming up through the root and through the leaves. 
the sun through the water and, the, and it's coming through the tree, coming through the branches and this thing emerges. Orange, sweet, delicious thing. And when it doesn't stay connected, it doesn't take it very long once it hits the ground and doesn't stay connected to the branch anymore before it becomes bitter and sour and messy. And that's us. That's why Jesus gives this illustration. Cling to me, abide in me, hang on to the vine, and you're going to be a sweet fragrance, a sweet offering, certainly to the Lord, but also to your community. So that when they see you, they see Christ. When I look at, a, at an orange tree, you couldn't, if you showed me pictures of an orange tree right now with no oranges on it, I would have no clue what that is. But you put oranges on, I'm going, an orange tree. Which means we are the representation of what's going on, what God is doing. Behind the scenes, we represent Him, we are His light. So people know Jesus when we lift Him up. People know Jesus. When we're sweet oranges or apples or whatever you like. I'm, if that's been bothering you this whole, I don't even like oranges. Please, just get the illustration, all right? Maybe you like grapes. I don't know. Cling to the vine. Stay close to him. Quit asking other people if you've not asked Jesus first. If you keep coming to me, your pastor, and saying, God, I, I, Jonathan, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't either. But I, I know what Jesus is. I know how to follow him. Do that. Line up real close to him and be asking him that question. God, what would you have me do next? How would you like me to best serve you? How would you like me to grow? How can I be a better father? How can I be a better parent? How can I be a better husband, wife? That's the first. Go to him first. Are you pursuing a pur your purpose, your Christ-given purpose in life? Will you commit to these things, these simple moves that have everything to do with the words of Jesus where he says, follow me. If I get anything right this year, church, if I get anything right, I pray I follow him closer this year than ever before. I don't care. I don't care if the church gets bigger. I don't care if, if you know, everything goes perfectly well with my health and that everything goes, those will be great. But they're not going to be worth it to me if I'm not following Jesus closer tomorrow than I am today. Because that's eternity. I'm practicing now what I'm going to be doing forever. I, I need to get good at it. And I'm, I'm confident of this, church, that we're not going to grow if we're not growing individually. That the more passionate we are for our faith in Christ Jesus the more he will trust people in these seats, the more he will trust people around us because here's what he says. You lift me up, I will draw. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that the reason we're gathered here today is because you're all-encompassing, you're all-powerful, you're all-pursuing love that poured out for us that the reason that we can follow Jesus, the reason we even have that, that, that ability to say yes and the power to do it is because you first loved us. That we have proof right there in, in, in history that God, you loved us so much that you died on the cross for us. You loved us so much that you sacrificed so that we could be whole for the first time. That we could be free and that we could freely follow you. We didn't have the power. We didn't have the ability to do that. You've set everything in motion so that we can put that yes out there. 
God, I'm praying for that person today. Maybe this is you. You've shown up this morning. Maybe it's your first time with us. Maybe it's your first time hearing the gospel. Maybe it's your first time hearing this, this idea that I need to put my trust in Jesus first and begin to follow him. If that's you, please pray with me simply this. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that this morning. And I believe that God raised you from the grave. I believe in the cross and the resurrection. And that gives me, gives me a lot of hope this morning that there's something beyond this place, that there's a heaven in store, and that I don't have to be afraid of that anymore. But even more than that, Jesus, I'm asking that you begin to guide my life. Help me to take this call that you've made across 2,000 years now to me, this call to follow Jesus. Help me to do that, Lord. I'm praying, Lord, would you strengthen me tomorrow to begin my walk with you in prayer and begin to help me understand your word. I've not read it much, Lord, or if at all. Help me to begin to understand what it is you're trying to show me in your scriptures. Dear friend, welcome to the family of God if you prayed that with me. and We're praying the exact same prayer right with you, my friend. God, help us, guide us, strengthen us to follow you with all of our hearts. God, I pray for that believer in the room right now that has, has no real devotion to you. That they, They've said yes to you in the past. They've said, and they believe, yes, they believe, but there's, there's not a lot of marks in their life that show of a fully devoted follower of Christ. And there's some, there's some bitter things that have come up because of that. There's a lack of peace and joy and Maybe there's a ton of stress, a ton of anxiety. Maybe there's depression. There's a lot of stuff going on. And God, I know you want to heal that. I know you want to work on that. God, would you strengthen those believers, strengthen me, strengthen us, your church, to take systematic steps this week, starting tomorrow, starting this evening, where we'd have a conversation with you, maybe just a few minutes in prayer with you, that it starts with just one step at a time. Help us, Lord, guide us to be fully devoted followers of you, to really take that call seriously, the big call of Jesus this morning, follow me. Help us to be devoted in that. And then God, begin to do it. Do the thing you've promised in us, your church. Make us fishers of men. Help us to be the kind of church, the kind of believers that truly lift you up high and glorify you in such a way that you would draw people to yourself. I would love to see that, Lord. I would love to see people coming coming to faith in Jesus. Do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.